0: Hey, good morning, New Life. Uh, so glad to be with you guys today. Uh, generally, uh, my day job is working at Christ in Youth. Don't get to preach that often. And so when I get opportunities like this, I'm, I'm pretty excited until I found out what I was preaching on. Uh, man, I'm not kidding. Like <laughs> Joe sent me a text. He's like, hey, I'm going to be on vacation. Do you want to you fill in for me? He's like, yeah, man, I'd love to. And he goes, he says, hey, it's up to you. We're in this, in this series in Genesis. You can either join me in the series or you can just come in and preach something that you preach someplace else, you know, and, and that'd be fine. I was like, no, no, man, I'd be, I'd be honored to join you in, in, in the series. Like, that'd be great. I, I, I was real grateful he trusted me with it. And so he sent me the text to what it was and I started kind of like, oh man, that'll be a great text. Like, yeah, if you, you talked about this and this and this? He's like, no, 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 that, that's the wrong chapter. Like, you're talking about chapter 18. I, I'm talking about chapter 17. And the famous words of old school you know, comic strip or comic show, uh, Homer Simpson. Don't. I mean, it was like, no, 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 no. I have never preached on this topic and, uh, this will be my last time to ever preach on this topic. <laughs> Could be my last time to ever preach at New Life. If you're visiting with us today, sorry, man. Uh, just, just the topic it is. It's what came up. Uh, it's a, it's an, a really important topic to have. Uh, I'm sweating right now cause I just don't want to get into it. Uh, you know, I don't mind public speaking, but for some of you that are afraid of getting up here, try getting up here when you hear the topic that I'm going to have to get into for part of the text today. Uh, the word, <laughs> I'm just stalling, man. That's all I'm doing right now. Just stalling. Uh, <laughs> the word circumcision is, <laughs> is mentioned 10 times in Genesis 17. Yeah, there it is. Uh, for those of you in this room, you know, they've got kids that may not know what that is. Uh, I found the best distraction I'm using with my 11-year-old is like, hey, man, what would you say your favorite kind of donut was? Uh, and you just kind of move on with life. Uh, but here's the deal. I'm either going to deal with Genesis 17 and all of like the issues that are there, or I'm not. And so I'm going to ask you, I'm going to try to deal with this like, as respectfully and as tactfully as I can. But this is a taboo subject, man. If nothing else, every time I say the word, you just kind of chuckle inside like, <laughs> Better him than me. You can just say that all day when you look up here. Like, yeah, I'm glad that's him and not me. Uh, but we're gonna just get into the text, okay? Uh, the bigger the bigger theme here is is not circumcision. That, that's not the biggest theme. The biggest theme is is God's promise. Promises are, are a big deal in our house. They're even a bigger deal in Scripture. In, in our house, you know, I love one of our family traditions. Is my wife every Easter? she'll get these Easter eggs. She hides them all over the house. And the, the eggs kind of vary in, in, in three different area, categories. One, there's candy inside the eggs. Two, and the kids get excited about this, there's money in some of the eggs. And, you know, as they used to shake them and get excited about the coins. Now they're older and it's quiet. They're like, oh yeah. Because then that means it's one of two things. It's either going to be bills or the thing they really want, which is my wife puts these little coupons in there, these little slips of paper. And it can be varying things. Like some of them are, you know, get out of doing the dishes. Oh, man, they will barter candy all day long for that. I mean, just like I'll give you six Snickers for one get out of doing dishes. You know, they'll, some of the other things they put in there, you know, get out of cleaning your room. That's another big one. Uh, we heat our house in hot water year round with wood. It, don't it, We're not weird. It's just... We'll just leave it there. Anyway, to get out of loading the boiler, like in January, they'll pull that thing out and go, "There it is, Dad." Another one they love—they love, love, love donuts with Dad. That's a big one. Like they love to pull that one out. And here's the deal: the coupon—it doesn't really mean a whole lot. But what the power is found is when that promise of that coupon is fulfilled, like when it comes about. They get excited about a piece of paper, but the paper isn't the exciting part. The exciting part is what happens when that when that paper, when that promise actually happens. That's what we're going to get into in this text today. Um, God's going to introduce this word that, for some of you, you'll know what it means. Uh, The word is covenant. Covenant is a big deal in the Bible. When you hear the word covenant, I want you to think it's really kind of it's, it's a binding promise between two parties. It is not like a contract, not like a real estate contract or anything like that. It's more like an agreement that you make between you and another person. It's very relational and it's very very personal. We understand that concept. We do. We'll talk about it here in a second. In the Bible, there are fi- five big, big covenants. Here's it. We're not going to get into all five, but for some of your personalities, you're like, I need to know the five right now. Let's just get this over with. Some of you have my wife's personality. Like, you said five. I have to write them all down. Here are the five big covenants. Number one, you've got a covenant with Noah. That's one of them. Number two, you've got a covenant with Abraham. We're going to get to that one today. Three, you've got a covenant with Moses. Four, you've got a covenant God makes with David. And then the fifth covenant is a one that actually the first four are all getting you to the fifth. All the first four point to the fifth covenant. And the fifth and final covenant is a covenant that Jesus and God the Father makes with us. And we're going to talk today about covenant number two, the covenant with Abraham and how it points to and leads to this covenant God, this promise God is making with us. Keep in mind, I love what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, 2 Corinthians 1, 20. It says, for no matter how many promises, how many covenants God has made, They are yes in Christ, that fifth covenant. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So essentially, God will have several conversations with Abraham. Okay, so now we're back. There's five covenants. We're dealing with number two right now. Number two and number five is what we're going to get into. In that second one, God's going to have a lot of conversations with Abraham. He'll start this back in chapter 12. They'll talk about covenant. Chapter 15, they're going to talk about covenant. And then we're going to be in Genesis 17. And God's going to talk about covenant all over again. If you got your Bibles, Genesis 17, we're going to read one through eight. Here's the deal. I've got a lot of ground to cover today and a really complicated topic. I mean, this is not the easiest sermon to preach by any stretch of the imagination. So I'm going to move really, really quick through some of these texts. Don't be offended if I'm reading too fast for you or be annoyed. Just realize I got a lot of Bible to get through today. So we're going to start in Genesis 17. I'm going to read those first eight verses. It says this, when Abraham, sorry, Abram, His name hasn't changed yet. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Now, for some of you guys that are like old school Christian music people, okay, sitting in this room or not, that's fine. Uh, That's the first time God introduces himself under the name El Shaddai. So you can go ahead and sing your immigrant song if you need to. He says, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down, and God said, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, your name will be Abraham. For I made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting keyword, everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come to be your God. And the God of your descendants after you, the whole land of Canaan, where you reside now as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Here's the point God is making and saying, Man, I'm making a promise to you, Abraham, to do something incredibly special to you through you. We get the idea of promises. We live in this world. When we're kids, you know, you cross your heart pinky promise. Some of you in this room, you know what it means to take that oath of honor, Hippocratic oath. You know, we, we get this this concept. We go through weddings and we say, I do, I will. We, we exchange rings. I've told my kids in my house some a very important phrase, man. If you don't have your word, you don't have anything. Like there's some in this room that your word is more important to you than any contract you could ever sign. Like you give your word, it's everything. God is giving a solemn word right now. His solemn oath to Abraham but that oath is not about Abraham and his descendants. It's really about Abraham and a descendant. We'll get that in a moment. So how do you seal a promise? <laughs> oh, man, here we go. Whew, sweating right now. Uh, I told you we can peak a promise. We can exchange rings. God does something interesting here. All right? Let's just, let's just get this over with. Here we go. Genesis 17, 19 through 14. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. That colon you're seeing right there might be one of the larger ones in all of scripture. Because I picture Abraham going, "Uh huh? uh Huh? Yeah. All right. I'm 99 years old. tell Tell me what it is. I'm excited. You know, God takes a deep pause. He's like, well, every male among you shall be circumcised. Well, he's not looking around at all of his servants like, okay, all these guys have got to be circumcised, all right? And then he says, you are to undergo circumcision. And it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you for generations to come. Every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner and those who are not your offspring, whether born in, my, in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Uh, what? Okay. So there it is. Uh, I'm going to quit apologizing for saying it because it, it, I just want to be respectful. It's a taboo subject, but I think it's important that we get the whole concept. We understand where this is coming from. All right. So if nothing else, extend me tremendous amounts of grace today and realize I'm dancing up here, man. I'm trying to be as tactful and respectful as I can with a complicated conversation. Why in the world does God choose something like circumcision? Why? Why would God choose that? I'm going to give you my opinion. And so let that be what it is. Let it just stand in opinion. If you understand Abraham's story, Abram's story before he gets his name changed, God makes a promise. Joe's already talked about this. God makes a promise back to Abraham in chapter 12. There's three big promises that God's going to offer him between chapter 12 when God meets him, chapter 15 when he meets him, and chapter 17 when he meets him. Okay? So we understand it's God's big covenant. Within that covenant, there's really going to be about three things that God tells him he's going to do. Abraham, here's what I'm going to do for you. Number one, I'm going to make you a dad. Abraham was like 80-some years old, never had kids. He and Sarah couldn't have any children. He's 80 some years old. He's like, You're gonna make me a dad? What? Some of you guys right now at 80 are like, No, thank you. Like, don't want any part of that. Abram, you're gonna be a dad. Abram's like, Well, that's awesome. Number two, Abram, I'm gonna, he was a nomad. He had no place to live. He traveled all around. Abraham, I'm gonna give you land. Not only am I gonna be a dad and I got no kids, I'm gonna be like a landowner of a nation and I don't even own a plot of ground. Yeah. And in addition to that, I'm actually, Abraham, going to do something you can't even wrap your head around, Abraham. I'm going to bless not just you, not just your descendants, but one of your descendants is going to bless the entire world. Abraham couldn't even fathom that we'd be sitting in Bella Vista, Arkansas, still talking about him today, realizing the blessing that started with him continued on and we even see today. He had no concept of iPads and iPhones and Bitcoin. I mean, come on, man. He had no idea. But that blessing that God promised him, that he couldn't even wrap his head around, here we are today in this moment, getting a blessing that all started on this day. Why circumcision? Here's my opinion. So what happens with Abraham is he and Sarah can't get pregnant. And so Sarah takes things in her own hands, and she's got this, this servant that works for her, a slave that works for her. She's a servant in the household. Her name is Hagar. She says, hey, come here. I can't get pregnant. And so I'm going to have you marry my husband. He's going to get you pregnant in order to accomplish the promise that God gave us. And God's like, no, that was not the plan. I, I, in fact, Paul will lead to, allude to this in Galatians. You can read it there. I, I didn't want a child that was born out of slavery. I mean, somebody against their will getting married. No, 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 I want, I want a child was born from freedom. Like, this is no, no harsh word toward Ishmael, but this is not my plan, Abraham. You took matters, like, upon yourself. You tried to accomplish this in your own way. And I think God addresses the very thing <laughs> the very thing that Abraham thought would be his deliverance, the very thing that Abraham thought would be his, you know, accomplish what he needed to accomplish. God's like, no, 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 Abraham, I was going to take care of this. You tried to do it on your own. So I'm going to use circumcision because that addresses the very method that you thought would, ac- would achieve my promises. And Abraham, that's not how you do it. You do it through me. And Abraham, I want every generation after you to look back and know that through circumcision they realize that the only reason they're here today is because of my grace. Abraham, the only reason they're here today is because of my favor. It has nothing to do with who you are. It has everything to do with who I am. And God gave them that gift. Abraham didn't give God circumcision. God gave Abraham circumcision to remind him and all of his followers every day that they were here only because of the goodness and grace of God. I think that's why God chooses it. I want you to realize something, that the circumcision isn't what justified Abraham in this covenant we got to be really careful here. And you'll understand why I'm going to get into this a little bit later. But I think it's important for us to draw some distinctions here. Okay, we're going to get into Romans chapter 4 right now, 9 through 11. This, again, we've got we get a couple more complicated texts we're going to walk through. This one's one of them. It says, we've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteous. Joe's already talked about that. So it's Abraham's faith. God sees his faith. He sees who he is. He sees his belief. And God says, because of who you are, Abraham, I want to enter into a covenant with you. I see your faith. I credit to you as righteousness. I want to enter into a covenant with you. And then after God enters this covenant in chapter 12, chapter 15, chapter 17, then God comes over here and says, and I want to seal it by giving you a gift called circumcision to remind you that it was, I'm the one who did this, not you. We've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after. It was before in 12. It was before in 15. It was before in 17. Before he ever did this weird thing called circumcision, God had already called him righteous. This is just a gift that God gave him every day to remind him of who the power came from. It came from God and not from him. And after he received circumcision as a sign, keep in mind, he received circumcision as a sign. He didn't give it. He, it wasn't from him. A seal of the righteousness that he had by faith, he was still, while well, he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all, us. He's the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness may be credited to them. You know, I'm going to dive a little deeper. I'm going to bring three points out of this text, and we're going to move off of this. I'm going to quit talking about circumcision after this. We're going to be done. Because some of you are like, can you quit saying that word? Me too. Um, Verse 9. It says, we've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham's faith. Not what he did. His faith. It was an act of grace. Sometimes we look at the New Testament and we think, oh, well, the New Testament's when grace is introduced. No, 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 no. This is grace introduced right here now. What in the world has Abraham got to offer? Nothing. He can't produce any children. He's got no home. He's got, I mean, he's a wealthy man but he's got no land. He has nothing to offer the God of the universe. It's God's grace that shows up and says, I'm going to take a barren man and a barren woman, and I'm going to change the the entire trajectory of the known universe through them. Abraham, I'm going to show you grace that you could never earn. I'm going to show you favor that you don't deserve. It's going to blow you away, Abraham, what I'm about to do in your life. I want you to understand that it is through faith and grace that this happens to Abraham. Chapter, verse 10, it says, under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. I don't want anyone here to think that the act of circumcision is what justified Abraham. It's not. Nor any of his followers. It's the faith that justified Abraham. Trust me, you're going to get into the Old Testament when you read it, and God gets so frustrated with people. Yeah, they might be circumcised, but their hearts are far from him. The big issue was not what Abraham did in the circumcision. The big issue was his heart, like David's heart, was after God. And that's what the father saw. That's why he entered into a covenant with him. And then finally, he says, and he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Understanding, this is a gift of God to Abraham. It's a sign for Abraham. It's not a work that Abraham's doing to prove something to God. God said, Abraham, I'm going to give this to you to remind you every day of my favor. Every day I want you to be reminded of my goodness in your life. Every day I want you to know that I'm here with you. Not just you, but your children and their children. And he said, Abraham, someday from you will come a descendant that will change everything. But they kept screwing up. Over and over, they kept messing up. Over and over, they broke the covenant like a bride or husband breaking a wedding vow. They just couldn't stop themselves. Sure, physically, they may look like they're in a covenant, but spiritually, at a heart level, yeah, they may be physically circumcised, but Paul says their hearts were uncircumcised. Their hearts were not committed to the covenant. In fact, Jeremiah gets into this. He realizes, God speaks to Jeremiah like, I got to get a new covenant. This isn't working. He's like, we have to have a new covenant. He says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, in Jeremiah 31, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. In other words, they betrayed the wedding bed. They betrayed the marriage to God. He says, declares the Lord. You can find it all over Hosea, all over Ezekiel. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write it on their hearts. That's foreshadowing the Holy Spirit. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to another, know the Lord because they will all know me as the Holy Spirit comes inside. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And here's a key phrase. This is the marker of the new covenant. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more far better than just producing offspring, far better than just having some land, far better than what you see as, as Abraham saw, as a nebulous, universal blessing of nations. No, 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 no. Jeremiah says, we're going to get to the heart of the issue. Oh, forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. When a promise is made, a promise is kept. That's how God does it. And there's a moment in the book of Matthew that we read over like it's Charlie Brown's teacher, wah, 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 wah. No, 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 no. You've heard this text read so many times, whether you grew up in church or not. You've heard this. You can't get away from it. It's on Christmas cards. It's everywhere. And I'm not saying it's the most piercing words in the Bible by any stretch of the imagination, but these are piercing words. They are a shot over the bow, especially if you lived at this time. This is somebody walking in and screaming something to a room that would have just woke everyone up. These words in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, are incredibly significant. This is a genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the Messiah, the one that just got promised in Genesis 17, the one that God says, out of your descendants, Abraham, I'm gonna bring somebody out of you. I'm gonna bring somebody out of you that's gonna change the whole known world, the Messiah, the anointed one. They've been talking about him after book after book after book in the Old Testament, talking about the Son of Man, how Jesus is coming, this Messiah is coming. And he shows up in this place on this page in a little place called Bethlehem in Matthew chapter one, verse one. And he is what God promised Abraham because a promise made is a promise kept and a promise shows up in a manger in Bethlehem on this day. Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It goes into in Matthew chapter one, verse 17 through 18. It alludes to the, this waiting they've had. There were fourteen generations in all, from Abraham to David, fourteen from David to the exile in Babylon. Fourteen generations from the exile to the Messiah. And this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And what, what the writer, what that's saying this moment is like generation after generation after generation. Since this day when Abram becomes Abraham and he falls face down, until this day in Bethlehem, they've waited for this person God promised to show up. And he shows up in this place, and he will revolution, turn the world upside down. The Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one, the descendant of Abram they've waited for. Mary and Zechariah, will. We'll sing about it, specifically in Zechariah's song, also in in Luke chapter 1, 69 to 75. He says, he remembered his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and in righteousness before him all our days. Without fear, perfect love drives out fear. In holiness, free from sin. In righteousness, free of guilt. And it shows up in Jesus. Do you remember what what was promised in Jeremiah? That last phrase, for I will forgive their wickedness, Jeremiah 31. I will remember their sins no more. Enter Jesus. I like what Jesus says so many times, but specifically we're going to talk about Matthew 26 because he alludes to the fact that the new covenant's here, guys. What Jeremiah talked about, I'm here. The new covenant that Jeremiah alluded to—it's me, not me. It's Jesus. I understand that. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread. When he given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, "Take and eat. This is my body." And he took the cup. When he given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, "Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant." Paul will talk. We'll get to it in a little bit. Paul will call it blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for for many. Here's Jeremiah. It's here for the forgiveness of sins. So much better than land. So much better than descendants. What Jesus brings, he goes to the heart of the issue, literally. And he addresses our sin issue that separates us from God. Because here's the deal. You can realize that the access to God for for Abraham's people, if they weren't circumcised, they weren't even a Jew. I mean, it, it says real clearly in Genesis 17, 14, any uncircumcised male who's not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people he has broken my covenant. Just because they're circumcised you know, physically, it didn't change them spiritually. So Jesus comes in and he says, I'm going to deal with the root cause. The root cause is the heart. That's where the real issue is. Like that's, that's what we've got to get to. And Jesus shows up to address our deepest need. What Jeremiah alludes to, Jesus solves. We need forgiveness. We need to be absolved of our guilt. We need a right standing with God again. Abraham tried to accomplish it on his own. We try to do the same thing sometimes. I love this text in Colossians 2. Again, a tricky one, but let's get into it. Colossians 2, 10 through 15. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. You, you've been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority in him, in him you. You were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. This isn't a doctor. This isn't a rabbi. This is the God of the universe taking care of your heart. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, really with Christ. It's talking about what Christ did on the cross. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, having disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over him by the cross. But it's by faith. Just like Abraham... Abraham, by faith, entered into a covenant. The same thing would do for us. It's by faith that we enter into this same coven- this new covenant. Galatians chapter 3 talks about that, verses 6 and 7. So Abraham, he believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Those who have faith, we get to enter into a covenant just like he did. It's not about circumcision anymore. It doesn't matter. Circumcision is a non-issue in our world for believers. Does not matter in the least bit. Paul, he takes his head on Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Okay? Has no value anymore. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. We've got to believe in order to get access. Just like Abraham. We have to believe, and that belief is credited to us as righteousness. In in Romans chapter 4, verse 22, it says, This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. This is why. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us. It's credited to us as well. Just like it got credited to him, it can be credited to you as righteousness. It can be credited to me as righteousness to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in Him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Therefore, we have been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have, we have gained uh, access by a faith into a grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope and the glory of God. We gain access because of our faith, In that very statement, that Jesus is who he said he is, that his death and his burial and his resurrection are what justify us. We don't do what Abraham is. We're not trying to make this up and find a way to do it on our own. We realize that the only thing that can get us through is Jesus. We also confess. I mean, Jesus is very clear. He tells us, man, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man's coming to the Father except through me. But we also have to repent. Peter talks about this. I wonder when God shows up and he talks to Abraham in chapter 17 if, if, if God's just not scratching his head, like, Abram, what, what have you done, man? You try to take matters into your own hands and, and, and solve this on your own. Like, you pulled this woman out of slavery. Don't even know if she wanted to be married to you or not. You, you had relations with her. You produced an offspring. Abram, what are you doing? I think sometimes God looks at us like, what are you doing? You're trying to earn my favor through works. You're trying to earn my favor through money, through church attendance. You're trying to earn my favor here, earn my favor. What are you doing? Stop doing all this madness. That's not how you get access. That's not how you get in. You don't get access to God's covenant by by taking matters into your own hands or taking matters into your own heart. You have to repent of doing that. And just say, God, the way I'm going isn't right. My sin's separating me. The wages of my sin are death, and I want this gift called life that Romans 6 talks about. So Peter replies to them, he says, well, repent and be baptized, every, every, every one of you, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you need to confess with your mouth who you believe Jesus is. Paul's clear on that in Romans 10, verses 9 through 11. These are the process to gain access. You've got to believe who he says he is. You've got to repent of what you're doing to try to earn it on your own. you got to go through and confess who he says he is is real. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. How does God seal that agreement with us? We understand that we can enter into a covenant with him. We believe, we repent, we confess, like, we get... We get that we can, we're offered a covenant. Like, what's the seal? He offered Abraham circumcision. I want a part, like, that's a a tough buy-in. You know what I mean? Like, what he offers us through Jesus is so much more significant. So much more significant. Abraham was given one sign, circumcision. We get offered three signs. Three signs that we get offered. And there's others, but I'm going to talk about three. First and foremost, I'm going to talk about an empty cross. That's the first sign that God has given us that he will keep his word, that a promise made will be a promise kept, that every time you wear that cross around your neck, you need to realize that is God's sign to your heart that he's made a covenant with you. He gives you an empty cross in Jesus. Know this, first and foremost, Jesus is our seal. No more, no less. Abraham offered very little in the way of a seal through circumcision, but on our behalf, Jesus stood up for us and he offered his entire body. On a cross, as a seal and a price to pay. Abraham offers very little. Jesus offers everything he is. Abraham bore the marks of a seal on his own body. Jesus bears the mark of our seal on his body. He takes it all on himself. He bears every bit of it. It says, let me be your seal before the Father. Let me be the confirmation that you have accepted this covenant. And the first thing you hold and hold on to is an empty cross as your seal an empty cross that reminds you every day, Father, I hold this cross up. I lift it up. I lift it the blood of Jesus. that was shed for me. First, that is my access point, Father. I believe, I repent, I confess, and I hold on to the cross of Jesus and the blood shed for me. Like, that is my access to you, what you've done for me. Another thing that he offers us that is also really amazing, and it's a huge gift. He offers us water baptism as a seal. Now, the whole conversation of water baptism gets really, really wonky with some people. So let me clarify this. Is Abraham justified because of his righteous heart, or is he justified because he gets circumcised? Paul's already addressed this. If you argue that point, you've got to argue with somebody way more theological than me. you argue with Paul when you get to heaven. He says really clearly, no, 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 no. It's, it's his heart. It's credited him. His, his faith has credited him as righteousness. And there's a lot of people out there like, oh man, we're just gonna get you wet. No man, I've been in swimming pool a lot. I see a lot of people get dunked in water and it doesn't make any difference. Okay, the issue is heart. The issue is your faith in Jesus. But a gift that God's gonna give you, that's a really amazing gift. He gives you this really cool opportunity to say, I want to give you a reminder of our covenant, not just an empty cross, but I want to give you this special moment between you and I, where I can show you another seal. I can give you something else that reminds you that you can look back on that says every day I remember that baptism. And I remember it was a day when God reminded me that he has sealed me, that I am his. I've entered into this covenant. We saw it in Colossians 2. We just read that, Colossians 2, 11 and 12. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Acts chapter two, we just talked about that one. Peter says, repent and be baptized. In fact, throughout the entire book of Acts, every time somebody comes to Christ, it involves baptism. It's just, it's a reoccurring theme through the entire book. Get into Galatians. Paul does this whole conversation about, he says, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. And he talks about what it means to be a child of Abraham, to be blessed alongside Abraham. And then he jumps down in that text. And he says, let me talk about you. So in Christ, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's not Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor they're male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to promise. I mean, what Abraham got offered was so finite. It was just for, for male children at eight days old. What God offers us now is for men and for women, for young, for old. It doesn't matter what country you come from. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter what your income is. He says, I want to give you a seal that's for everybody. It's a beautiful seal. It's an offering that He gives you. I don't want to guilt trip you into this. I'm like, this is a cool gift God gave you. And you don't have to get circumcised. That's pretty awesome. It's an amazing thing. God's like, I would love to give you water baptism as a really cool opportunity for you to know that my covenant. My covenant with you is real. A cool moment for you to go, this is awesome. First Peter says, and this water symbolizes baptism that saves you, not the removal from dirt from the body, but a pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven as God's right hand. Again, Romans. But don't you know that all of us who are baptized, I kind of look at it this way. You get baptized, you get lowered in water, and you come back up. Don't you know that all those who are baptized into Christ Jesus, remember how Jesus was alive? They put him on a, you know, he was alive, they put him on a cross, and they buried him in a tomb. He comes back to life. He's alive, they put him on a cross, they bury him in a tomb, he comes back to life. That's the symbolism of baptism. That's what you're acting out. You're identifying with him. It's, it's about as close as you can get. Romans gets to this. He says, don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried with Christ through baptism in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. This moment when you choose this water baptism, you don't need to feel guilty about this. It's an awesome opportunity. You should do this. And you're like, oh, man, I don't know. I'm sure Abraham thought the same thing. But it's one of these that God clearly tells us we should do. We need to do. If you're waiting why why are you waiting to do this is it just stubbornness it's, that's not worth it your stubbornness isn't worth it God's trying to give you a really amazing gift here don't be stubborn he's trying to give you a cool opportunity to identify with with his son and he's not being get nailed to a cross he's letting you identify Jesus was alive he was crucified he was buried you think about it when you're under that water for all equivalents, you can't breathe it's like you're dead why they call it a watery grave you get a chance to say, man, I'm going to be buried. I want to identify with Jesus. And then I want to be raised to life just like he was for eternity. What a cool gift. That's amazing symbolism. You should take him up on this. But that's, the only, that's not the only gift he gives us. Another sign that he gives us is, I think, his communion. Jesus pointed to it. He says, while they were eating, we already read this. Jesus took the bread. He had given things. He broke it and gave it to his disciples. He says, take and eat. This is my body. He took the cup when he given thanks he gave it to them saying drink from all from this all of you this is the blood of the covenant the new covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins so not only do you get an empty cross to look at daily and know that a promise made is a promise kept not only do you get this moment of baptism where you get to kind of symbolically go through almost the exact process that Jesus went through alive buried resurrected i get to go through that whole process kind of like Jesus i get to identify with him But on top of that, I get a weekly experience where I get to take this tactical thing of bread and juice and remember, I'm a covenant person. Like, God's redeemed me. He set me free from my sin and even the guilt of my sin. Like, I've been given a gift that is far superior to any covenant God made with Abraham. My covenant is better. Your covenant is better than Abraham's. In fact, you'd look at it and you'd you'd be talking to Abraham in heaven, talking about covenants like, man, I wish you could have got yours. Yours is so much better than mine. You're like, Abraham, you're a promised land. Yeah, yeah, land and kids. You got to be a royal priesthood. You got to be a people belonging. You got to be joint heirs with Christ. You actually got to carry Jesus and the Holy Spirit inside of you. I never got that. That's way better than anything I ever got. You should be celebrating. You live on this side of the cross. It's so much better. So much better. Paul says it this way: For I received, for what I received from the Lord, I also passed on to you. That passage we just read about I love watching my kids open those eggs. It's a big deal in our house. Big, big deal. They run around the house and they start swapping these slips of paper. My son Justin, one of my favorite stories is the night before he was supposed to get married, that day he showed up at our house, we're getting ready for wedding plans, and he pulls out a slip of paper he's held on to for a lot of years. Pulls it out, and it's Donuts with Dad. And I'm like, bro, almost teared up. It's like, Dad, I've been waiting on this one. And, uh, He and I went out that day. We had donuts on the day of his wedding. Just laughed and talked. I want to say, son, why would you hold on to that? Why would you wait? I didn't ask him, but I wanted to say, why would you wait so long? I think I'd ask you the, the same question. God has offered you forgiveness. He's offered you eternity. He's offered to set you free from guilt and shame. He's offered to give you forgiveness. He is not about circumcising the body. It's about circumcising your heart. He's going to get to the root of the issue, which is here. You know it as well as I do. It's here, man. This is the problem. And at this moment, I just want to ask, why Why would you wait on that? And for some of you who've been fighting this issue of water baptism for a while, like, wh- why would you do that? That's nonsense. That doesn't make any sense. It's something that's clearly all over Scripture. There's no need to be stubborn about it. It's a cool gift that God's given you. It's nothing that you're doing. I mean, you're most, by the most passive thing you can do in your life. Just stand there and let somebody lower you in the water and raise you back up. Like it's pretty passive. But it's a cool gift that God gives you to be a sign of you entering into covenant. So hold on to the cross. If you've not participated in water baptism, I would encourage you, like, come on up right now and talk to me. Let's have a conversation. You don't need to be guilted into it. This is a gift. It's an awesome gift to you. And I want to encourage you to look at communion differently. Look at it as, man, God, I want to reseal my covenant every week with you. Every week when I drink this and I eat this, I remind myself I'm in a covenant with you. And I'm so thankful. Let's pray. And if you want to talk about water baptism, I'm going to be right up over here. There might be some elders, other staff. I think if the Holy Spirit's convicting you right now, can you just kind of like, I'm going to get up and do this. It happened last night. I'm going to, I think there's probably someone in this room who's like, I need to do this right now. This is ridiculous. Why am I waiting? It's a cool gift that God wants to give me. It's a gift. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for restoring us in a new covenant. Thanks for fulfilling everything you promised to Noah, everything you promised Abraham, everything you promised uh, you know Moses, everything you promised David. You are yes and amen. You've done it all. Thanks for getting to the root of the issue, which is our heart. God, thanks for the gift you give us of an empty cross. Thank you. Thank you for the gift you give us of being buried with you in baptism. What a cool thing, Lord. Thank you for that. I mean, your imagination, your ingenuity, your creativity that that is just wonderful. Thank you. And God, thank you for giving us a, an act we can do every week to remember you in communion. What a gift, Lord. We, we thank you for your creativity and the way you found beautiful, thing, beautiful ways to remind us consistently that we are in a covenant with you. Can we pray?